Hello and welcome to What on Earth, the podcast of the Environmental Investigation Agency, or EIA. I'm Paul Newman, EIA's Senior Press and Communications Officer, and today we're going to be taking a look at the findings in our recent supermarkets report, Checking Out on Plastics 3. Joining me is Christina Dixon, our Senior Ocean Campaigner and Lead Author of the report, to talk about how the Big Ten supermarkets in the UK are meeting the challenge to reduce the huge amount of polluting plastic materials they put on the market every year. Chris, welcome and thanks for taking the time to share your thoughts with us. Thanks. Now, before we get into the meat of the report, you're a senior campaigner in our ocean team, and yet you're working on supermarkets and plastics, which seem to be more consumer kind of issues. Um, for anybody listening who might not be familiar with our work, how do the two tie together? Ah, really good question, Paul. So I think that um, we're all pretty familiar with the sight of um, plastic in the ocean. Um, there's the kind of blue planet effect, you know, where it's all come into, into our houses through the TV, the kind of visualization of what plastic pollution really looks like in the environment. And, you know, that's often affecting marine wildlife. And so originally we approached this campaign from an ocean plastic pollution perspective, um, constantly seeing statistics around the amount of plastic packaging being found on beach cleanups um, and as well as the visuals of, of you know crisp packets floating in the ocean plastic bottles etc so um, you know our, our sort of entry point to this issue was through the marine plastic pollution aspect but we've then kind of evolved our thinking to look at well how can we influence the change that we want to see and supermarkets is by far and away one of the main places where we as consumers interact with plastic packaging and it's where we can actually have some opportunity to see change Excellent. So, so it's really a question, of, I suppose, of, of, rather than just addressing the symptoms, uh, we're, we're going back to the source of the problem and challenging that. Absolutely. I think that, you know, you, you hear this analogy quite a lot about, um, you know, you wouldn't mop up the floor without first turning off the tap. And it's exactly quite. that, you know, beach cleanups can only go so far. You know, they're a great awareness raising initiative and, and cleaning up areas, you know, that gives people a, a pride in their, you know, their coastal environment. But it shouldn't really be on people um, to go out and clean up the beaches. We should really be addressing the problem at source to stop that flow of plastic into the environment in the first place. Absolutely. Now, Back onto the report, to, to take a headline figure, um, the research you did showed that the 10 leading supermarkets in the UK collectively put nearly 900,000 tonnes of plastic packaging on the market in 2019. Uh, it's kind of hard sometimes to get your head around a number like that. So we the comms team to make it easier, probably for ourselves and for everybody else to understand it, did a few calculations to try to visualise that number. And we found it's the equivalent weight of about 90 Eiffel Towers, which is frankly staggering. Just how are supermarkets churning out so much plastic? So, I mean, it's a good question. Fundamentally, you know, we live in a society that's focused on you know production and consumption and it's designed around convenience right you know we want to go to the shop and grab the item that we need and we want it separated into exactly the number of components that we might want you know for example a yogurt to be in um, and plastic items are predominantly designed to be used just once you know even if there's an intention to recycle that item fundamentally it's, it's a single use item right you know it's designed for you to take it home consume it and then chuck it away and not really give it another moment's thought and there's also issues around, you know, marketing and branding taking precedence over any kind of design modifications that might reduce plastic and also um, pretty slow uptake on things like, you know, refillable systems and reuse systems, which um, are we're starting to see in some supermarkets. But, you know, thus far, that's really only in the kind of zero waste shops and it's quite a niche offering at the moment. So there isn't yet that widespread consumer demand for a reuse and refill system where we could, you know, access 
products packaging free, you know, we are seeing lots of um, people, you know, on social media and going into their supermarkets and complaining about the amount of plastic that you see, you know, fruit and veg wrapped in. You know, you only want to buy one pepper, but, you know, you have to buy three because it's wrapped in plastic. Um, and there are these kind of, I guess, symptoms of the, the consumption and convenience society and this linear model um, that just means that supermarkets are enabling that and churning out plastic for us to consume in the easiest way possible. Yeah, and so I guess some of the change has to come from the, a completely alternate mindset where we're looking more and more at doing things that don't come prepackaged. And you know, like you see occasionally the worst stores um, like bananas, which you know, kind of come in their own biodegradable wrapper anyway, but then they're sold in an individual plastic bag, which just seems frankly ludicrous. Right, yeah. And I think people are really tired of that sort of needless waste. Um, and increasingly, consumers are becoming aware of the fact that they have got some power to influence the supermarkets that they're shopping in to say, hang on a second, I don't need to buy a banana wrapped in plastic. You know, it's got its own skin. Um, it's fine for travel. It's like the perfect portable snack um, in its own right. And so, yeah, I think everyone's a bit fed up, essentially, of just the pointless plastic that we're seeing on our supermarket shelves. So, so in, in 2019, the Big Ten put out, well, the actual figure was 896,853 tonnes of plastic packaging, um, which was actually less than they put out the year before. So aren't they actually cutting their plastic use? So, yes, they are. Um, the way that our survey works is we collect data from the previous year. So in this year's report, you know, the 2020 report, we were looking at 2019 data. In 2019, we were looking at 2018 data and so on. Um, and so the first year that we started the report and have data for is 2017. And actually what we saw in this year's report that though we saw a decrease um, between 2018 and 2019, we actually saw an increase, albeit small, between 2017 and 2019. So fundamentally, plastics actually, you know, in a longer term sense, it's increased since 2017. It hasn't decreased. Um, and one, I guess one very important elephant in the room to note is that we're not talking about the impacts of the COVID-19 pandemic on plastic packaging in this report, um, because that's 2020. Um, and we'd expect to see a lot more craziness in the data, you know, when we think about what's been happening with plastic in 2020. But just if you take this snapshot, what we've seen is that fundamentally not very much is changing at all. Um, the increases and decreases are minor. We're talking in the one to 2% range across the top 10 supermarkets. So it's, um, it's evidence really from our perspective that the the pace of change is much slower than we'd anticipate. You know, when you look at some of the targets that supermarkets have, for example, you know, targets to reduce plastic packaging by say 25%, 40%. Um, if as a sector, we're only seeing a 1% reduction, you know, it seems unlikely that the ambition of what, you know, we're expecting to see is actually going to be met on the timeframe that we'd hope to see. Oh, that's unfortunate. Um, how, how many of the supermarkets actually increased their plastic packaging in 2019 and, and how many out of the 10 actually managed to decrease it? Did, did most of them get a decrease? Yeah, so between 2018 and 2019, eight out of the 10 actually reduced their plastic packaging footprint, which is great. Um, and something that was really interesting is that um, half of those reductions actually came from Asda. So one supermarket was essentially sort of carrying the bulk of those reductions. Um, and that's really fantastic to see. And especially because Asda um, have, have been doing a lot of really interesting stuff around reuse and refill and sustainability. And they're focusing quite a lot of their efforts on plastic reduction. And so it was clear in the data that we saw that 
you know, that's now bearing fruit. On the flip side, um, two companies were showing an increase when we looked at the data, which was Co-op and Morrison's. Um, and there's a range of different reasons for that, um, which are, to be honest, are a bit techy. Um, yeah, so might, might, not be, Keep it light. might not be great. Might not be great. Okay, um, if we can focus on one particular plastic item, because it's it's been in the headlines for for you know, well for quite a while now, um, and it's certainly like the enfant terrible of plastic pollution in in this country for a lot of people. Uh, what's the story with single-use plastic carriers? Um, I think since charges were bought in for them, a, a lot fewer have been given away. That's got to be a good thing, yeah. Yeah, gosh, the bag story—that's an interesting one. Um, and I wish I had a, an easy answer to this, but. You know, just based on what's in the report, what we do know is that single-use plastic carrier bags, so the thin ones that you'd usually get, you know, at you know your corner shop, wherever, so they're the sort of thin, light carrier bags. The ones those... you see blowing in hedges a lot. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So there has been a huge reduction in single-use carrier bags, so 33% reduction across the 10 supermarkets. And also a number of the supermarkets just aren't even selling them anymore. You know, they've banned them. Just get rid of them altogether. So that's fantastic. However, the kind of problem in this story um, is that bags for life, plastic bags for life, I should say, the thicker ones, the very durable ones, they're still increasing. So between 2018 and 2019, they, they carried on going up 4.5%. Four um, so that's like 1.58 billion bags in one Whoa. year issued. You know, that's just completely bonkers. These numbers are, are wild when you try to visualize, you know, what 1.58 billion bags for life actually looks like um, and so they're increasing um, and different retailers are trying different approaches you know increasing the price slightly to act as a disincentive um, and you know the best research that's available which is limited suggests that you know the price would need to be at such a point that it really is a disincentive for customers to treat them as a single use option so we're talking like 70p and above um, and potentially supermarkets should be looking at a kind of phase out entirely of, of plastic bags for life. Um, you know, there is potentially a role for them, you know, people reusing them at home for different functions because they are more durable. But it's really concerning that so many thick, durable plastic bags for life are being churned out when we really don't know what the fate of them is. Um, there are some initiatives where supermarkets are collecting them and recycling them and then and then making their bags for life out of recycled content, you know, which is which is great. Um, so we definitely commend those efforts. But there needs to be um, a big focus now on what we're going to do about this, this bags for life problem, because, you know, while on the one hand, it's great to see a reduction in the single use thin bags. Um, we don't want an un unintended consequence of that to be a sharp increase in these bags for life. So it shouldn't be a replacement of one for the other. Yeah, without pointing the finger, well, without obviously it is pointing the finger, but without meaning to point the finger, is this driven by consumer um, behaviour? Is this something where people have thought, well, I can't get the cheap, thin, free ones now, so I don't mind paying 10p, 20p, whatever it is for a bag for life, but then treat it like it's a thin, disposable, cheap one? Is that what is kind of behind this kind of meteoric rise in numbers? Well, I think that, you know, there aren't really any studies on the consumer behaviour side that we've looked at. Um, in the context of this, we do know that in order to drive reuse, essentially, it needs to be as easy as possible for consumers. So they can't be um, disincentivized to do the right thing, basically. It needs to be as easy as possible. And I think there needs to be a big awareness campaign by the supermarkets, you know, driving that 
uptake of bag reuse by customers. So it needs to be as easy as possible. And part of your shopping experience should be that kind of friendly reminder to bring your bags back and use them again. Um, and, and I'm really wary of placing the blame solely on consumers for problems like this, because there's huge system change that needs to happen in order to um, incentivize and generate you know, behavioral change. Um, but obviously, you know, the consumers do have a role in the, in the sense that, you know, remembering to bring your bag when you go shopping. I think that's a simple step that we can all take. And, you know, there'll be there'll be times when you can't. But on the on the most part, if that can be a kind of key consideration when you're going to the shops, for sure. Yeah, that, that, that sounds fair. Now, checking out on Plastics Reports, um, we've done three of them now, and they effectively rank supermarkets based on their overall performances in terms of cutting their plastics. Um, who, who was top of the class this year? Who gets the gold star? And what do they do to put themselves there? So this year's lead retailer was Waitrose, um, actually for the second year running. Um, and Waitrose have really consistently delivered on plastic reduction and also across their um, branded products and their own branded products, which is quite a key difference between Waitrose and some of the other supermarkets. Um, but they were able to report an absolute plastic reduction of 6.1% since the first survey that we did in 2017. And they also have the lowest plastic use per market share percentage. Um, so they basically are operating on kind of a lower level of plastic than the other retailers in the simplest way I could describe that. Um, and they're doing quite a lot around reuse and refill and also unpacking fruit and vegetables. So they've done quite a lot of work trialing in one of their stores in Oxford, you know, how reuse can work, you know, which are the kind of most appealing product ranges that can offer re refillable systems and how can they design their stores so that customers are interested in reuse and refill and, and want to do that. Um, so that's that's really innovative, actually. And they're, they're really creating a blueprint for the sector on what plastic reduction looks like in practice and what a kind of reuse and refill offering in a store could look like. Um, I mean, they're also doing quite a lot on just removing some of the single-use plastic products in their um, in their stores and cafes, which is, is quite common across the sector, actually. But I think in terms of the innovation piece and trying to be a leader on the new system that we want to imagine for the future, um, Waitrose are really, really driving that change. Superb. Obviously, you've had some dialogue with the big supermarkets involved in this. When you've been chatting to Waitrose, have you got any idea as to how these kind of innovations are going down with their customers? As, as as new kind of initiatives are they being a success yeah i think one of the things that we hear from nearly all of the retailers is that there's such a huge consumer appetite um, for plastic reduction so actually you know it's something that consumers want you know they want to see less less plastic on the shelves basically um, they want to be able to recycle easily they want to basically be part of the environmental change that we're you know we're, we're campaigning for um, so a lot of the the waitrose offering is around you know testing that customer experience and that's what a number of the retailers have done over the last year as well is having these trial stores where they they basically look at you know how are the customers interacting with these offerings you know what's working what's not what's confusing um what products are consumers just not going to want to do as a refill offering you know because it's just not practical it's not working um so yeah i mean i think that that engagement with consumers is a really critical part of this because there's no point in rolling something out that customers aren't asking for yeah so these kind of um, initiatives are effectively a work in progress so i guess they're, they're looking at how they go and moderating it and, and making amends as it happens yeah yeah and i think one thing that's been a key 
ask from EIA and Greenpeace throughout this work is, you know, yes, totally understand the importance of trialing and testing, you know, because it's a it's a financial undertaking to roll out a new system or a new product range. Um, but what we'd hoped to see in this year's report was a, a sort of, I guess, acceleration um, in that rolling out of trials. So quite a few of the supermarkets now have done trials. They've either got, you know, a sustainability store or, you know, two to three trial stores where they're testing out initiatives. But what we really need to see now is those learnings scaled up and rolled out nationally or regionally at the very least, um, you know, using those learnings, but also more sharing knowledge within the sector so you know those of the supermarkets that are working on reuse and refill you know we hope that they can take their experience to some of those you know stakeholder forums and to basically share their experience because it's a new area for everyone um and it's it's helpful i think to see you know what's working and what's not working because this is something that's not really the responsibility of one supermarket it's a huge sectoral shift that we need to see Excellent. Now, if we stick with rankings for a moment, um, Aldi was towards the bottom of the league table last time around, um, and yet scored much more highly in, in this report. What's it doing differently that you would like to see perhaps adopted by its its um, competitors? So I don't think it's a coincidence that um, when we've done this survey in the past, you know, we've seen companies come at the bottom or near the bottom, and then the following year shoot up to the top or near the top. And Aldi's really a case in point with that, I think. Um, you know, we've worked very closely with the Aldi team that are, are working on plastic reduction. Um, after coming bottom, you know, they really resourced that team very well internally and made plastic reduction a strategy. And so we're starting to see that strategy bear fruit. And I think it's a reflection of the, the internal commitment um, that they have as a business, that they really want plastic reduction to be part of their growth strategy. Because Aldi is one of the few supermarkets that's really growing in size. You know, you're seeing Aldi's pop up everywhere. Um, so it's really important that, you know, as a supermarket like Aldi is opening up new branches, they've got a plan in place for how they're going to manage their plastic and, and broader environmental footprint. Um, so one of the things that, led to Aldi placing so well in this year's table was the fact that they've reduced by 2.4% um, their plastic uh, per unit of market share between 2018 and 2019. But they've also done things like ban the single-use carrier bags that we were talking about um, and banning those, I'm sure you've seen them, the little thin plastic bags that you get in the supermarket when you're picking up your fruit and veg and they encourage oh, yeah, you to yeah. like pop your bag. So we call those ultra lightweight bags. Um, and they're such a menace because you basically can't really do anything with them. They break really easily. You can't reuse them. Um, they're essentially a, a, a totally disposable single use item. Um, and so, you know, they're, they're banning those. Um, so I think they're really taking tangible actions. And then they've also made a pledge to reduce their plastic footprint by half. Um, and they're also including within that uh, branded and own branded products. Um, branded products are just a small component of Aldi's offering, but it's just, it's interesting because most of the supermarkets focus their reduction commitments on own brand because it's where they feel like they've got the most power over their supply chain and, and you know what they can influence. But branded packaging is a huge problem. Yeah. To be fair to the big supermarkets, um, I guess there's only so much they can do in relation to cutting plastic from their own goods. What about the big household brand names that they all stock on their shelves? Um, things like, you know, uh, you get the uh, brand name soups that are provided in, in sort of, uh, six-pack shrink wraps. I mean, supermarkets can't be expected to be responsible for the plastic packaging big brands use, can they? 
Well, can they? I mean, can they? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I suppose one of the things that we're saying in this report is that, you know, we understand that, um, you know, when a retailer is selling something that's own brand, you know, Waitrose own branded product, you know, Sainsbury's own branded products, everyone's got their offering. Of course, they can have a lot more leverage over, you know, what the packaging looks like, how much plastic is contained within there, you know, what, what does the design look like? You know, that's a it's not an easy win, but it's an easier win. Um, you know, when you're talking about dealing with these big brands, you know, they're supplying all of the retailers and all of the shops. So I suppose what we sometimes hear back from retailers is, well, we don't really have any influence over the brands and, you know, you know, what's our little voice in asking, you know, Coke to change their bottles or, or whomever. Um, and I think considering the volumes, you know, the 900,000 tons of plastic packaging that we're talking about and a huge portion of that being branded packaging, I just don't feel like that's good enough. Um, we've seen some really positive reductions on own brand plastic packaging, but we saw a 5% increase in branded packaging. And sometimes in the results that we saw, you could see really big reductions in own brand, but actually a, an increase or a very small reduction in brand, which kind of offset the whole progress. Um, so there is a part to play in engaging those brands and what that looks like, you know, it varies from retailer to retailer and it also varies, you know, depending on the amount of influence they've got on the market. So Tesco, for example, have this commitment to delist. Um, so otherwise basically refuse to stock um, branded products that don't comply with their plastic packaging specifications. And that's huge. You know, Tesco is the biggest player in the market. So that kind of commitment from Tesco is really powerful. And so part of our work with retailers is asking them, what are they doing to engage with brands? And so we've seen, you know, some some retailers make a specific delisting pledge. So saying, you know, they won't stock brands that contain, you know, X, Y, Z components. And that could be things like, you know, problematic polymers that can't be recycled. It could be products that are wrapped in unnecessary plastic packaging. You know, it depends. Um, whereas others, you know, they, they don't feel like they've got as much influence over the brands. So essentially they're sort of, I guess, relying on the brands to, to take action. Um, and we're not campaigning specifically on the brands at EIA and Greenpeace at the moment, but there is a lot of work happening internationally to look at what brands are doing to reduce their plastic footprint and what their corporate commitments look like in practice. And that's a whole other very interesting area that's probably not for this conversation, but yeah. you know, we do think that there's a leverage that supermarkets have on brands that needs to be you know, used more effectively. As you said earlier, you know, there's a huge appetite amongst consumers to, to get a bit hands-on and feel they're contributing towards the solution and, and seeing plastic reduction happen. I would assume that the big brands, given the degree to which these huge corporations monitor consumer behaviour, must be aware of this and hopefully might actually pay heed to it and you know make, make amends based on that. Um, Hey, finally, uh, do you think it's enough to leave supermarkets their own devices when it comes to plastic reduction, or is it something that's um, more pressing than that, and that we need something stronger, perhaps a little more legally binding even, to help drive the progress? Yeah, I think that's a really important part of this puzzle. And, you know, there's really a, I don't know, maybe, would, would you call it a carrot and a stick or a pincer? I don't know. Um, <laughs> but basically, there needs to be action on both ends, right? I mean... Companies aren't going to do anything unless consumers are demanding something that they want, you know, otherwise, what's the impetus for them to change? So on the one hand, we do need 
consumers to keep calling for the world that they want to see, the change that they want to see, you know, to say, actually, we've had enough of this, you know, pointless plastic packaging, get rid of it. And we're willing to be a bit inconvenienced potentially in the short term, um, you know, for the greater good. Um, And that's what we need to see on the one hand, you know, an increase in desire for reuse um, and people, you know, engaging with their supermarkets, basically. But on the flip side, we also need something at the government level to to level out the playing field because, you know, a lot of these changes will come at a cost and an inconvenience in terms of the operations of these companies. And it's difficult for one retailer to put their head above the parapet and say, you know, we're going to try this thing on plastic reduction, but it's going to be really expensive and, it, you know, it could go wrong. And essentially everyone's just watching and waiting to see if it works for us before we have a go. Um, yeah. And actually, you know, that's, you know, while there are retailers who are willing to kind of roll the dice on some of these things to see what works, I think that a level playing field will actually make a huge difference. And that would be things like, you know, mandatory reporting on on plastic components um, at the government level, because we need greater transparency on how much plastic is actually out there and what it's comprised of. You know, we see quite a significant variation in the way that plastic is being reported on, you know, from companies reported on from company to company. Um, and the, the quality of data varies, varies massively. Um, and so access to the information, particularly from brands, is very important. And, you know, how can we design, um, you know, a recycling system that works if we don't even know what plastic components are in products, for example? Yeah, okay. Not Point. that we're, you know, advocating necessarily for recycling to be the solution here. It's more just that the system as it is currently designed does not work. You know, the majority of plastic packaging is either being shipped overseas, it's being incinerated or landfilled or maybe recycled, but, you know, we just don't know. So transparency on the plastic supply chain, particularly on the production and design side, is is absolutely critical. And we also need, you know, ambitious government policy on things like um, the deposit return system, which is, you know, this thing where you bring back your bottles and they they go into a machine um, and basically you know, get recycled or reused, you know, that's something that's planned to be rolled out in the UK. So that needs to be ambitious and effectively designed. And retailers need to be part of that journey with the government to make sure that the the end product is something that's ambitious and fit for purpose. Um, and also, you know, critically, reduction targets, you know, set nationally, I think are the only thing that are really going to actually drive progress. So we need to actually see a kind of declared level of ambition uh, about how much we want to reduce plastic by. So first step for that is an accurate baseline. So mandatory reporting, transparency on how much is out there, and that will inform a, a reduction target and a kind of process for how we can measure that. You know, you can't manage what you can't measure. So um, that's all part of the puzzle and the government absolutely have a role to play in that. Excellent stuff. Well, Chris, thanks very much indeed for joining us today. And here's to um, happier plastic-free shopping in the future. (laughs) I hope so, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) If you've enjoyed listening to this podcast, please watch this space for future episodes. And uh, do check out our website at eia-international.org to find out more about our work. Thank you very much for joining us. And wherever you are out there, do stay safe. (laughs) 